Bridget Owens, and you're listening to the Waxing Soul Podcast, where we're adventuring into the world of mindful modern magic and authentic spiritual practice. It's May 26th, 2022, and today's topic is spiritual communities which are centered around common spiritual practices. Are you ready to grow your soul? Last week, we talked about the first type of community on the list, which was community made up of people who share interests. So today we're going to move on to a related type of community, which is that made up of people who share common practices. And this isn't just spiritual practices, religious, cultural practices. It's everything from, you know, it gets into communities built around lifestyle choices, um, around even things like professions, that kind of stuff. Anything where the actions we engage in on a regular basis, rituals, habits, things we're required to do or whatever, when that is something that sets us apart from the people around us or maybe is the biggest thing we have in common, that's where we find these communities. And I do want to stick to talking about this in the spiritual sense, but that honestly involves a lot of the, you know, the things, the practices we have, right? Like there there are often spiritual reasons for like being vegetarian or being involved in certain hobbies for you know doing things like homeschooling like it it's not just the like overtly spiritual religious or cultural practices that bind communities together but i want to talk about this in terms of spirituality rather than like just flat out health concerns or the practices we have because you know we think they're fun or whatever. What really divides interest-based communities from practice-based communities is, of course, action, but it's also the way that that action changes the dynamic of the relationships. You know, we seek out interest-based community because we have a need to feel secure in the expression of our spiritual energy. Like, interest-based communities are something that we need in, you know, to support our authenticity to make us feel supported and secure in our authenticity. But when we move past the need to feel embraced and supported and just like being and liking what we do, expressing that part of us and actually start making that part of our, you know, a few episodes ago, I talked a little bit about how each alchemical essence can also be broken down into essences. So Like interest-based communities nurture us around pure spirit, like spirit of spirit. When we put that into action, when it's not just exploration and enthusiasm, you know, thought and feeling, and now it's like physical movement, it's repetitive behavior. Now we're into spirit of body, right? And the insecurity we feel, the risk that we might feel we're taking isn't about being singled out or feeling alone, it's it's in making mistakes, doing damage, the, the consequences of doing something wrong, or not knowing how to do something rather than thinking or feeling something weird or strange. So support and security in a practice-based community has to do with expertise and shared knowledge. Now I mentioned last time how interest-based communities kind of draw that spiritual energy together and create something of an egregore of sorts, which is kind of the heart of the community. And I mentioned how interest-based communities, by necessity, don't really have defined boundaries or structure. And that's what changes 
when part of an interest-based community forms a practice-based community, or when we move from one to the other. Like, I also talked about how the meetup group I organize often isn't what people are looking for, <laughs> and they break off sometimes in smaller groups to create the kinds of communities they do need. And this is where they often end up, like practice-based communities that splinter off or are the next step after interest-based ones. And the thing which binds them together is guidance, knowledge. So there does tend to be at least some kind of informal hierarchy where those who are more experienced, more knowledgeable, become mentors and teachers and guides to those who are new. And what new members bring to the group and contribute is to turn the kind of energetic, spiritual investment which would be directed towards that central egregore within an interest-based group, they turn that enthusiasm and curiosity towards preserving the practices and traditions and knowledge. And like I said in the first episode in this series, the downside of that is that capitalism and individualism has turned, you know, it turns that situation into one where instead of trading support and knowledge, that expertise gets monetized and commodified. And instead of a community of mutual support, we tend to find sort of like a pay to play situation, right? Rather than concern for community, for sharing, passing on and preserving practice and knowledge, leadership and expertise becomes a goal in itself. Like, think about megachurches. Think about even things like, I think we all know of modalities and spiritual methodologies, which, you know, despite being based on ideas which are not new, get copyrighted and patented and held back from everyone, you know, from anyone who doesn't pay for it. It gets rebranded, it gets reformulated, so it kind of stays valuable enough to sell. That, and we get like performative practice, like the pressure to master and become an expert who can monetize that performance or mastery. And I feel like this is where a lot of the tarot community's at. Like where it's almost an expectation that if you learn tarot, then you should read for clients or turn it into a social media thing or, or else you're not really a tarot reader. It's competition rather than community. And if we find or build healthy communities around like shared practices, they can alleviate this sense that our worth is tied up in perfection, in expertise, and having some kind of higher level of achievement that, you know, we can use to try and center ourselves in the lives of others. That, that feeling that even things like spiritual practice exist as kind of pass-fail pursuits, as part of a life that separates winners and losers. And when we get to some of the other types of community in this series, we'll get into how you know, communities of shared practice can be the basis for finding, you know, our like, our lineage based or historical identities and ties to our ancestors. But, but what I want to talk about next is, is what we have, what we have to contribute, and what we have to overcome to really help create and maintain true community around shared practice. Year two of the Waxing Soul podcast is all about ideas in action. Join my mailing list at BridgetOwens.com slash podcast for a weekly self-growth challenge, plus all the latest news and more fun stuff. Now back to the episode. One of the very most important things to talk about 
when we talk about this need that we have for true community, for healthy community, is the ways that we have to retrain the way we think about ourselves in relation to others. And especially when we're talking about shared practices, this is, you know, history is just chock full of examples of communities, local and native cultures, organizations, even like family businesses, which were built around a spirit of passed on tradition, of generations teaching the generations which came after, you know, of nurturing each other around whatever central practice or tradition or whatever they all shared, but which was taken over, bought out, absorbed into some bigger, more conquest-driven or profit-driven force, which then either destroyed or fundamentally damaged that practice and broke down the community, intentionally or not, right? Like, colonists worked hard to usurp and even destroy native spiritual practices all over the world. You know, folk practices and, you know, regional crafts and skills have been appropriated and commercialized and, and kind of cheapened by corporations. And even things like, as much as I do find a lot of positive within the coaching industry, and I do think that it is, you know, that at its best, it's what happens when people, mainly women, try to create this kind of community within the context of capitalism. But we wouldn't have to do that if capitalism hadn't first essentially destroyed the kind of shared skills way of being that used to be the center of a lot of communities. And what that means is that we have to unlearn how to exist and behave in these communities. We have to kind of unprogram or I guess to deprogram ourselves because modern culture has programmed us with a kind of, I think of it as middle management programming. If, you know, if success means being at the top, being influential, exerting power, you know, being kind of placed at some level of recognized achievement and advancement so that others want to learn from you and you can, you know, reap the material benefits of being you know, in demand, which I mean, we really have all been programmed that way, right? <laughs> we find out really quickly that we can't hope to get absolutely to the top. So we seek out a place kind of in the middle where we sit at the top of a smaller piece, a smaller niche, and the idea becomes to keep as many people beneath us in a position where we can reap those benefits. And it still makes us more prone to pushing to, you know, sit at some pinnacle, even if it's a small pinnacle. Whatever part of us is subject to that programming values achievement and excellence and competence as a thing that makes us worthy, that makes us successful or admired or valued or whatever as individuals. And we have to unlearn that to some extent to really function in a shared practice community. Because our dedication to and knowledge of and competence at whatever that practice entails in the context of community bonds has to be more about preserving and passing on those practices than it is about being recognized individually. And unfortunately, this is where the pagan and witchy and spiritual, you know, communities sort of suffer most tangibly as far as lack of healthy community. And lots of reasons for that. One of which is that I think a lot of people look to learn a thing, learn a practice or skill in a way that's kind of like they just want to master it and then move on. It's, you know, that's the thing of making it about our worth and our achievement and knowledge and not about community. 
or we take it one step further and once we've reached some level of mastery we expect that the next step is to start our own offshoot group to teach our own followers or whatever you know we put the emphasis on the knowing rather than the practicing or you know or the relationships or even just the shared experience now preparing for this episode i did a lot of kind of kind of racking my brain to think of a good example of a practice-based community that I am or have been part of so that I could kind of break down that experience and and share what works well. And it wasn't until I was, I really was almost through sorting out my thoughts that I found my answer. And it, it kind of isn't an obvious one. It's not particularly spiritual in the sense that I wanted to focus on in this series. But it's the sorority that I joined in college. And I say that because if you're not familiar with Greek letter organizations outside of like pop culture references, at the core of every single one is a set of rituals. And what binds all the members of each sorority across the decades and across different schools and all of that is that each member has gone through the exact same ritual, which is passed down with only minor adjustments here and there as times change. And More importantly than that, each member goes through a process of experiencing those rituals for the first time as she goes through initiation. And then every year she's that she's a member, you know, she gets a sort of different, deeper role in the rituals and, you know, kind of learning from the older members, teaching the younger ones. And these even include like not just the secrets of the initiation ceremony or whatever. It's it's also things like passing on chapter offices from one class to the next and stuff like that. It's if the ritual isn't respected and shared and preserved and passed down, if the members get hung up on their own achievement and power over, you know, power over other members, then the chapter falls apart. So sustaining a chapter requires a a sort of reverence for the rituals and traditions, which goes beyond each member's own importance. And it's not like, I mean, being president of the chapter is cool, but it's not, you know, there's a new one every year in a sorority. It's only so special. <laughs> um, it's it's more responsibility than prestige. And this isn't, you know, I haven't been a member of, of a coven, so I don't know how, you know, if most covens are better, healthier communities in this regard. But outside of things like tribal communities, local historical traditions, what we don't have enough of in the spiritual community is that understanding of being a link in the chain, which transmits those traditions through the generations of, you know, putting the preservation of the traditions higher in importance than the way we individually benefit from learning and practicing them. There's like, how many of us in our spiritual path have gone through that experience of being, being, you know, taken in as a beginner, like shown the ropes, welcomed in as a full participant and eventually being given the responsibility of mentoring beginners who come along after you. Most of us are kind of expected to like find our own way to mastery, find some experts to teach us stuff, and then maybe when we've reached some higher level, we're encouraged to use that to build our own community around ourselves, like get followers, monetize our expertise. And I I don't think that there's anything wrong with charging for knowledge or training, but it's If that's the way most of us get into and follow our practices, that's not community. And we do miss out on quite a lot of support, experience, guidance, and and the traditions 
that we follow suffer as well. If you love the waxing soul, connect with me online. BridgetOwens.com is the central hub for all my projects, including books, card decks, and resources. Go there to get my latest book, Deep Self Magic, to connect as a potential podcast guest, and to find out all the latest news. Also, find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook as Bridget Owens Magic, and on Twitter as Waxing Soul. The difficult thing about the lack of this kind of community is that it's also somewhat hard to create if it doesn't already exist for you. Or, or at least it seems that way. Because when we think about creating community, we think about leadership. We think kind of top down rather than ground up. And this has to be, these communities don't have or really need formal leadership to get started as much as they need just the passion of people to nurture and pass on and preserve the practices and traditions they care about. And even in spiritual terms, this doesn't mean just like long-standing deep cultural traditions or high ceremonial practices or whatever. It doesn't mean the core shared practices don't change and evolve. Just that these communities exist because people come together around shared experiences in order to pass them on and to share them and to make sure that there's support for those who are new to the practice and to make sure that the experience gained and passed down by the elder members is continually built on, added to, refined, developed. And this doesn't happen if these kind of, you know, types of communities are controlled through a hierarchy of centralized control or power. I've done, you know, I've mentioned this before, but I have studied and read quite a bit about early humans and early human spirituality. And one of the things that has been very interesting to me and very relevant to this particular topic is the egalitarian nature of humans when we were or when we are sort of nomadic foragers and what what has been observed in terms of like remnants of such cultures, the few that we still have around to study. And the important thing that I think we kind of miss in our, like we think of collective governance or social structure in terms of democracy and majority rule, right? Most of us, like that's kind of the only example we have you know, top of mind to fall back on. And without control and power centralized around a leader or a few leaders, the only way a lot of us can think of to keep a group like that functioning is some kind of democratic system. You know, even better if there's some kind of broad agreement, some sort of like homogeneity within the group so there's not much conflict or anything, right? democracy where everyone more or less agrees. And I will admit that I didn't have a good grasp on how egalitarianism would even work outside of very, very small groups where that's the case, where everyone already agrees. And if there's too much trouble, you just kind of leave the dissenters to the lions. <laughs> but, but that's not how egalitarian communities actually work. The power is held collectively and social dynamics are used to kind of correct errant members when they act against the good of the group. And what I mean by that is that, you know, for instance, if I'm in an egalitarian group like this and my neighbor does something that pisses me off, he borrows something and breaks it and lies about it. I don't go to him and tell him off. Like I don't rally my friends and retaliate. There's no fighting, 
because then I would also be acting against the best interests of the group just like he did. And the community helps me repair or replace the broken whatever it is. There are, you know, stories told to the group. You know, think about how parables are used, right? How about how awful it is to do harm like that and not own up and make amends. Someone might make a show of apologizing to someone else for a similar slight. You know, it's the point isn't to shame and punish. It's for the entire group to remind specific members what is and is not acceptable to the group, but not in a way that, you know, pits one member against another, because that would mean individuals hold power to do that to other individuals, which damages the group dynamic. It's done in a way that teaches the younger or newer group members what the group values are and what is expected of them without making them afraid of being abandoned. And if someone isn't willing to follow the group dynamic, they aren't left to the predators, like they find a different group. Now that's the ideal, (laughs) and we're not used to operating like that. And I'm not saying that if you want to find people who share the same practices you do, that's how things have to be. But it's important to recognize that this lack of controlling leadership and a shared commitment and participation in upholding a healthy group dynamic is really essential, however that ends up looking. And being a part of a community where it's not competition-based, where it's not about perfection and achievement, where you get the you know benefit of guidance and support when you're learning, it requires every person in the community to behave in a way which upholds and prioritizes those ideals and passes them on. Thank you so much for listening. New episodes of The Waxing Soul drop every Thursday. All materials and resources, except the music, are copyright Bridget Owens. Many thanks to my readers, listeners, friends, mentors, inspirations, and my family for riding with me into Season 2. And until next week, blessed be and be good to yourself.